Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Church in the Valley. Glad that you guys are here. Anyone know what Sunday it is? It is the 5th. And it is the Super Bowl Sunday. It's also the week that we're continuing our message series called Built to Last. You guys are all nervous. It's like we're at church. Do I say what we're all thinking? Yes, it is Super Bowl Sunday. Anybody have plans to watch today? Okay. Anybody going for a particular team? Now's your chance to rise up or be a patriot. Okay. I see we're, you know, a little over here, right here. Okay. You know who you are. For the rest of us, we're going to eat and maybe football will happen, right? While, while we do that. Well, we're glad that all you guys are here to, to worship with us. Uh, for the next hour, we're going to focus on the series that we've been talking about the last few weeks called Built to Last, and today we're going to be talking about mission and how our mission in life uh, comes into focus as we look uh, into what happens after this life, as we look into eternity. And that's been the focus of this series. How does eternity uh, make a difference in this life here and now? And in the Bible, uh, you find a lot about eternity, what it's going to be like. You find that that reality should change our reality now. And if you've missed any of the weeks of the series, I encourage you can listen online at churchinthevalley.com. That's a way that you can catch up. But today, as we're talking about mission, it actually is fitting on Super Bowl Sunday that you have kind of this, this idea. Because you have a group of people who's made it their life mission to make it to the Super Bowl. And does anybody know the name of the trophy that you win if you win the, the Lombardi Trophy? It looks like this. Right. That's what you get as a team. That's going to be handed to the winning team uh, at the end of the game. Does anybody know who won last year? The Broncos. Okay, they're not in it this year, but they won last year. Does anyone know what the winning team gets besides the trophy? You get a ring. Right. And it looks like this. Okay, that's the Denver Broncos Super Bowl 50 World Championship ring. And that's what you get if you win a Super Bowl and the team gets the Lombardi trophy. Okay, so you have a group of people that mission in life, if you're a professional football player, is to hoist the trophy and to get that ring that you have for the rest of your life. And if you win a Super Bowl, you are set apart from all the other players that haven't won a Super Bowl. And that really is becomes your mission in life and your career that that you hope to do. And mission, like what we hope to achieve in our life, actually does uh, motivate us. If you're not an athlete, there's other achievements that are kind of really important in different fields. You have uh, Michelin stars if you're like a restaurant, if you're a restauranteer. Uh, a very good restaurant in its category. Excellent cooking, worth a detour. Exceptional cuisine, worth a special journey. The three Michelin stars right there, which those don't really look like stars, I just realized. They're like kind of oval clovers, you know. But Michelin stars, uh, very difficult to be a three Michelin star restaurant. You're set apart, but if you're starting a restaurant and you're a chef, this, this is your ultimate goal. If you're in business, uh, an ultimate goal may be you want to become a CEO, but you maybe want to make it on the Forbes, you know, one of the best. And in business, if you can be anywhere related to Forbes, best company to work for or best CEO, this becomes your, your mission in life. If you want to go to a prestigious university besides USC, you may want to get a diploma from this place. Harvard, right? You get that diploma, and in your field, you're, you're, you might be the cream of the crop. Wow, I got the grunt. 
I threw their acceptance letter away, right? I, uh, I didn't apply to Harvard, you know? I just didn't want to cry, okay? I applied to Hartford. No, I didn't. I didn't apply there either. Uh, but this, if, if, you know, you're into academia and you want to teach, you want to be a professor, if you can go to Harvard or law or what, you know, this, that becomes your mission. And these achievements are great achievements in the different field that you might be in, whether it's the diploma, whether it's mission stars, whether it's the Super Bowl ring, whatever it may be. And mission in life actually is linked to the vision that you have in life. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. How does your vision in life impact your mission in life? And the vision is how you see your life going, what you want to accomplish. And that is oftentimes the thing that propels us forward. For you to achieve greatness and get a diploma like that, or to be the best in your arena in business, these aren't bad things. But to do that, you have to have a specific vision of what that's going to take. Because when it comes time to sacrifice, when it comes time to pay the price to fulfill your mission in life, whatever it is, you need a vision for that. So today we're going to actually talk about what should the vision be for a Christ follower. And therefore, after that, once we have this vision, how does that impact our mission in life? And since we've been talking so much about eternity, eternity is actually the vision that we should have that impacts our mission. So it's all connected. We've been talking about eternity and being built to last, that we're made to live forever. And that vision of eternity should impact the mission that we have on earth. And I want to start looking at some visions of what eternity looks like. Because as you do that, you find that the promise of heaven brings life's purpose and meaning into focus. The promise of what is to come after this life brings really our life's mission and our vision into focus. And you find a lot of the vision of what eternity is going to look like in the book of Revelation. Revelation is the last book in the Bible. And it's written by John, who was the only one of the 12 disciples who wasn't martyred for his faith. Instead, he was banished to an island of Patmos. And on this island, God gave him visions of how history was going to wrap up on this earth and also visions of heaven. And I want to talk about these visions because it's the same vision that we may have in our life connected to our agenda. But this vision actually should impact our mission and what we give ourselves to above and beyond anything else and there's these central visions that that john has as this is unfolding and he's getting these visions uh, there's some themes that come and the theme is of the lamb and i want to just highlight a couple of those verses and then then explain it uh in revelation 5 here's a statement that's made by the multitude in heaven worthy is the lamb who was slain this is one of the key visions that that john saw worthy is the lamb that was slain this initial vision, a literal vision that he's getting is of this lamb. And then in Revelation 7, you find the same echo of this. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And so this proclamation of heaven and eternity is focused on the lamb. So as I begin to think about this, of all the visions that John got, and there were a lot of different visions of how Jesus would return and how he would proclaim and come back for his people. But you see this vision of the lamb again and again. It got me thinking. The kingdom of forever, the kingdom of almighty God 
There's this central vision of the Lamb. And I just want to talk about that a little bit. Because that vision should impact our mission. So why the Lamb? Well, in the Old Testament, there's a sacrificial system, an offering system that, that existed because of sin. And the Bible has this theme of the Lamb kind of throughout from the beginning to the end. And the reason that's a theme is because there's also this theme of, of death and of life. Sin entered the world. And because of that, there are the consequences of death, spiritual death, separation from God and physical death. The fact that all of us will die. And that's kind of what we've been talking about in this series, how to get ready for that reality. But because of sin, there had to be a payment for sin. God is a righteous God and sin opposes him. It goes against all that is pure and right and everything that he created us to do. But because of sin and the fact that we all sin, there's now a payment that's due for that debt. Sin is a debt. And we may not think about it a lot, but if anyone has wronged you, there is a sense in which that was, there's now a, a, a wall in the relationship, a debt that exists. They've taken something from you. Whether it's a kindness or whether it's respect or whether it's love, if somebody sins against you, uh, there's a debt there that now exists. There's this wall. There's a conflict. And in the Old Testament... When individuals sinned, they were required to make a sacrifice to God for payment for their sin. And the sacrifice was a pure animal. Most of the time, it was a lamb. So sin had the cost of debt, and a sacrifice was given to pay for that debt. And it's a central event that happened in the Old Testament called the Passover. This happened in Egypt. And what was known in the scriptures, and you may have read before, what's called the Exodus. There's this reference to the Passover lamb. And in Exodus, you find that there was going to be a curse on the Egyptians because they did not let God's people go, the Israelites. Because of that, they were commanded, the Israelites, to, on their homes, on their doorposts, to sacrifice a pure lamb and put the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. And if they did that, their firstborns would not be taken from them. And everyone that didn't have the blood of the lamb on their doorpost, the firstborn, was going to be paid. That was the debt that was due. Except all those that had the blood on their doorposts of this lamb. And the Passover refers to the fact that death, it passed over those houses that had the blood on it. The reason I bring that up is for us in our culture right now, the idea of a vision of a lamb, it's like, why is there a farm animal vision of heaven? And how does that impact me? The reason it does is because it is so focused on the payment of sin. And so when they're talking about worthy is the lamb who is slain, they're talking about Jesus because Fast forward from the Passover, Jesus came to be the final lamb for our sin. He was the ultimate payment who took away the sins of the world. In fact, that was the proclamation that was made of Jesus by the prophet John the Baptist when he saw Jesus walking his way. And this is what he says. He says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John 1, Now, this was before Jesus died on the cross. This was before Jesus rose again. This was before he ascended into heaven. And what John the Baptist, the prophet, knew is that this person, Jesus, 
was the ultimate lamb who would sacrifice himself for our sins. In him is the forgiveness of sins. And so when John, fast forward to Revelation, when he's getting these visions of Jesus the Lamb, it's this vision that all of life, all of what's important, is centered on Jesus, the sacrificial Lamb, who died for our sin. The payment that we could not pay ourselves, he paid for us himself. And he died on the cross, and he rose again, and he conquered sin. So what John the Baptist is saying is behold the lamb, fix your attention on it, make it the vision in which you see. And it's so interesting as God gave John this vision of heaven, it was the same. This idea of worthy is the lamb, fix your eyes on the lamb. So this vision is central to the scriptures, the lamb, Jesus Christ who took away our sins. And so I was thinking, for me, what, what does that mean in terms of a vision? What does that mean in terms of what I should fix my attention to? Because again, lamb for me, it doesn't sometimes resonate in the same way that it would have the people of God, the Hebrews, who've had this hundreds and hundreds of years of the sacrificial system, the stories of the Passover, their ancestors that were saved because they put the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. And for us, sometimes it just it doesn't resonate in the same way. But what it means to us in our Western culture, is that we have done wrong. And when we see the Lamb, it's a reminder that a debt was due. Righteous God. And it was paid in the person of Jesus Christ. That we have done wrong and a debt must be paid. That's what it means to behold the Lamb. It also means that Jesus had to be forsaken. It means that he had to suffer and he had to die. All of this is packed into the vision of worthy is the lamb who was slain. And he was slain for me, and he was slain for you. And beholding the lamb is this remembrance of this is what Jesus has done. He was our substitute. While we deserve to die because of our sin, Jesus died in our place. And so this should transform our view of others. The fact that Jesus Christ died for people that didn't even believe in him. He died for the whole world. He became this lamb, a sacrifice for all of mankind. So he died for people that didn't believe in him. And also, this payment had to be made, and there's people that don't even realize that that payment was made for them. So beholding the lamb... In this vision of eternity, this should impact our mission in this life. It's far greater than any other vision that we may have for our family. It's far greater than any vision that we may have for our career, for our relationships, for our friendships. This is a vision that cuts through like ultimately we are indebted to God because he sent his only son to die for us. And in eternity, the focus is going to be on Jesus the Lamb who suffered and died so we may find life in him. Okay, so this is like big thematic scripture, but at the same time specific to the vision that we need to have in this life. And I want to kind of shift gears and talk about what does this mean. So for us, the vision, if you're a Christ follower, is the vision is 
there's a lamb who was slain, and his name is Jesus. And he died for all of us because we've sinned. And because of that, I don't have to pay for my sin. Jesus paid the debt for me. Okay, so that, that's the vision. The New Testament comes and ties Jesus' life after he ascended into heaven, how that impacts all of what we do. And that's really what we need to focus on. Because vision sometimes can be this vague idea or a picture that we have, and it doesn't really translate into how we live life. And so I want to talk about how does this impact the way that we live? How does this lamb make a difference? Okay? What you find in scriptures is that Christ followers have been ransomed, and I'm going to talk about that, to accomplish the same mission Jesus lived for. So the vision is of the lamb, and the lamb is Jesus. So the question is, so what did Jesus live for? There's a scripture in 1 Peter that kind of describes our perspective that we should have, and this is what it says. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So you see again the same vision. We were ransomed. And what are we ransomed from? Well, ransom means we're, we're delivered from a penalty. We're delivered from it. The penalty is no longer on us. It's like we, we've been pardoned. Uh, it also means that we're free from this punishment of paying the price. We no longer have to pay the price. So what Peter's saying is, is all those who follow Christ no longer have to pay the price for their sin. In fact, you don't have to go through all the things that your forefathers went, went through. This idea of sacrificing another animal and you messed up and sacrificing another animal and you messed up, sacrificing another animal and just always feeling like, I just keep messing up, I need to pay a price. I keep messing up, I need to pay a price. I keep messing up, I need to pay a price. What Peter's saying is you've been rescued because of Jesus Christ. Because there's the one lamb that came and died for us all. And that's what he's saying. We have been saved to live differently. And we've been saved and ransomed and pardoned So we may adopt the same mission that Jesus had. So what was Jesus's mission on earth? Well, ultimately, his mission was to come and die and to rise again from the dead. Because him being the sacrificial lamb was his mission. But that event is because he wants to save the world. And that was God's plan all along. That the world could be saved through his son, Jesus Christ. You see that in Luke 19.10. It says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The lost there is referring to all those who have sinned. All those who have a debt on their heads, but have not received the payment to pay for it yet. All those that are under the weight of their sin and their guilt and their shame, The Son of Man, Jesus, came to seek and save all of us and to ransom and to remove that debt from our heads. So this got me thinking. If if this is the vision of the Lamb and worthy is the, the Lamb that was slain and to behold the Lamb and to focus on it, 
then it means that we, we always have to be thinking, how does the fact that Jesus came and lived and died and rose again, how does that impact me when I wake up every single day? How does that impact what I do? How does that impact what I, what I focus on? And so to be a Christian ultimately means that Jesus' mission becomes my mission. I can't have a mission and a vision for my life that detours away from Jesus Christ's mission. That's what it means. It means ultimately what's important to God becomes important to me. And his priorities become my priorities and his goals my goals. And the way he says to do things trump all that I've been told in my life. He becomes the priority in every aspect. That's what it means to adopt his mission. I want to show a a clip of this because this kind of speaks to the legacy that you leave. I don't know about you, but like that resonates with me. Like I want to make a difference, right? We don't usually wake up like, man, how can I be mediocre today? Right? We don't go to our job and grind it out and try to raise our kids and go to school and go to classes and do all the stuff so we can just be mediocre. We want to accomplish things. So this idea of legacy and this mission and the vision, it resonates with us. And I want to show a clip because it, it kind of strikes this chord, and it's from the, the movie The Emperor's Club. And I want to show a brief clip and then highlight a statement that he makes. Let, let's watch it together. Your name, sir? Uh, Robert Brewster, sir. Very good. And you? Deepak Mehta, sir. And your name? Eugene Field, sir. Field. And you? Martin Blyser. Is that a question? Uh, no, sir. Uh, my name is Martin Blythe, sir. Very good. You all know your own names. question is, do I? Mr. Blythe. Me, sir? Yes, you. Now, Mr. Field, to your right, or Mr. Gray to your left, or Mr. Diebel behind you. You, sir. Will you do me a favor and walk to the back of this classroom and read for us the plaque? which you see hanging over that door. I am... Sh- sh- I am Shutruk Nahunte. Very good. A little louder, please. Yes, sir. I am Shutruk Nahunte, king of Anshans and Susa, sovereign of the land of Alam. I destroyed Sipar... And took the stella of Neron, took the steel of Neron Sin, and brought it back to Alam, where I erected it as an offering to my God. Shutruk Nahunte, 1158 B.C. Well done, Mr. Blythe. Thank you. You may be seated. Shutruk Nahunte. Is anyone familiar with this fellow? Texts are permissible, but you won't find it there. Shutruk Nahunte, king, sovereign of the land of Elam. Destroyer of Sippar, behold, his accomplishments cannot be found in any history book. Why? Because great ambition and conquest without contribution is without significance. What will your contribution be? How will history remember you? Shutruk Nahunte, utterly forgotten. 
Unlike the great men you see around you, Aristotle, Caesar, Augustus, Plato, Cicero, Socrates, giants of history, men of profound character, men whose accomplishments surpass their own lifetime and survive even into our own. Their story is our story. The ideal clip is if he's just Plato, and then he's like, Jesus, and then I just end it. And then I just, <laughs> any questions? But it didn't do that. The reason it is because it's not a Christian film from a Christian worldview, but what he's talking about is this, this sense of what will you contribute that is going to extend your own life? How are you going to make a difference beyond yourself? And that's actually a great question. But our vision has to be greater than the great philosophers and great minds that have preceded us. For the Christian, the vision has to be Jesus Christ. Because these people have contributed, but Jesus is the only one that has saved. And that's what the scriptures are pointing to, this, this lamb who has saved the world. And that line, great ambition and conquest without contribution, is without significance. That's actually true. And the good news is when you actually commit your life to Christ, it explains and walks you through how to contribute in a way that pleases God. Because ultimately, we're a mixed bag of motives. I know I am. And when I think of contribution, it's how can I help people? At the same time, it's like how can they make sure that they knew I was the one that helped them? That is, we're not always pure in our motives. We like recognition. I know I do. I want to have made a difference and for people to know. And that's, that's what the, this professor is talking about. And that, that doesn't mean we're not supposed to work hard. It doesn't mean we're not supposed to make a difference. But for the Christian, our contribution and significance is defined and measured by what God thinks, not by what peers think or history thinks. It's what God thinks. He holds the value of what we do and what we say and what we think. And so I want to shift gears and highlight a major kind of central, central character in the New Testament we talk about a lot, and that's the Apostle Paul. And I want to talk about that because he kind of ties this vision of how to make a difference from his own experience, but how he kind of segued into encountering Jesus and how it changed kind of his whole vision and mission for what he lived for. So I'm going to want to talk about those scriptures and then kind of uh, bring it home. So my mission in life, according to Paul and according to the scriptures, is to know God and to do his work on the earth. That's the vision that fuels the mission. It's to know God and to do his work on the earth. That's the contribution, his work. Okay. And I want to highlight this from the life of. Of Paul In Philippians 3, if you've never read the book of Philippians, the New Testament, if you're not familiar with the Bible, you can look at the table of contents, but it's a great book that kind of walks through how it, a relationship with Jesus makes a difference in your view of your value and what you should do and how you should treat people. But in Philippians 3, 
uh, he takes us on this journey of his, basically his, his own life and what was important. Follow along with me. It says this. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And so what he's saying is, we all want to achieve things and we all want status. And that status oftentimes is for our own fame and our own glory. And what he's writing to this church is, if you don't know me, here's, here's my business card. Here's all that I've accomplished. Here's my LinkedIn profile of all that I have done. And he's walking it through just a religious angle even. And he's basically saying that I'm from a prominent family. I had a desirable heritage. I was holier than most of the people I knew. I persecuted the church. Basically, I was a good Jewish person that as the church, this Christian church was coming and rising up and kind of shaking the Jewish world up, I was coming against it. So I'm the cream of the crop. I rise to the top. Isn't that a song, I think? Sorry about that. It just kind of came. But and he's just saying, this is all I've done. This is all my status. Look, look at it. There was really no one that had surpassed me. So I had risen and I had arrived. And then he, he shifts gear in verse 7. And he says, but whatever gain I had, so all that I did, all I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of their surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So now you see this like split tension. All that he was going for in this world, the status, the ambition, the goals, his priorities. He says it's, it's like trash compared to knowing Jesus Christ. Saying, in fact, if I had to have all that and not know Jesus, knowing Jesus is still far greater than that. So he's saying we, we have a choice what we give ourselves to. We have a choice as to our mission, what's important. What Paul's saying, through his experience and through his life, he had lived on both sides. And what he's writing to us today is don't waste your time pursuing the things that the world and our culture says is valuable. You want to know what's valuable? Watch the commercials today during the Super Bowl. That's what's valuable according to our culture. It's going to be related to status. Get this car. It's going to be related to beauty. Look like these people. That's the value. How can I look good? How can I be good? How can I have status? What Paul's saying is don't fall into that trap. Because nothing compares to the knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ. And his other side of experience, for I have suffered loss. Basically, not only does this stuff not important, but I have now been persecuted because of my faith in Jesus. Not only have I lost it all, but now I'm considered like the dirt. I was in the in crowd. 
I was esteemed. And I've lost it all. And in that loss, he says it's the best thing that he could hope for in his life. If this doesn't challenge our mindset of what we think is important, nothing will. Because Paul is saying, from experience, it's not worth it. Pursuing the world and losing Jesus is not worth it. And then he goes on in Philippians three twelve through 14, and he says this. Put it up there. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. He's just saying, although I've considered all this loss and I'm striving to know Jesus, I'm still a messed up person. I still have mixed motives. I still haven't arrived fully. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I belong to him, the sacrificial lamb. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And that prize is appearing in heaven before the Lamb and saying, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. So again, he's saying, we have to use this life as a preparation for forever. And we have to fix our eyes on the lamb here and now so that will influence and dictate the choices that we make of what we give our time and our resources and our energy to. Now, the word here, this idea of straining forward, reaching for the prize, it it, it almost doesn't come in the same like original language, but it's like a hunter hunting for the prey. Now, that, that may be a bad analogy. How many of you guys have hunted? Oh. I know who I'm going to right there. It's a good, good number. But when you're hunting a prey, it's, the pursuit is on until you kill it. The other picture is, is like that of a prize fighter. Any prize fighters? Right? But this idea of the training, the sacrifice, the cost, waking up early, eating right, working, 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 and Oftentimes we think, because a lot of what we've just grown up with or what we've seen, to be a Christian means that you actually give up making a difference to just be a Christian. Like it's, it's not as valuable as something more noble. Like if you can't make it in the career, you could be a Christian. If you can't maybe be esteemed in your culture, you can be a Christian. And we kind of have this in our mind without even realizing, like, here's, like, what's really valuable. And then, like, you're a Christian. And what Paul's saying is, it couldn't be further from the truth. If you're pursuing a career, your pursuit of Christ should outweigh and outdrive even that. Whatever we have that we're giving ourselves to, whatever we have that we're sacrificing ourselves for, Paul's saying is, you have to press on like you are in the hunt to gain something that you desperately need. So it's this call forward, this call to sacrifice, this call to give up the things that we hold dear to gain something so much greater. But to do that, we have to battle ourselves and what we believe is true about our own worth. So Paul's saying, I, I'm keeping my eyes on a 
appearing before Jesus, the lamb who was slain. And I want to close out with this, this idea that Paul is saying. Okay, for us to have a vision of Jesus as the lamb who sacrificed for our sins means that we adopt his mission. And his mission is to seek and save the lost. And the only reason we can adopt that mission is because we know God. The only reason we can know God is through Jesus. You see how it's all connected. That brings me to my last point this morning. And that is knowing God and making him known prepares us for forever. That's what Paul's saying. Once we realize that we've found what it means to truly live, we'll be ready when we die. That's what Paul's saying. Once we've found what it means to truly live, we'll be ready when we die. When we've given our whole lives to that, to, to knowing God and making him known, we've actually lived the life that God wants. So I just want to talk about that, and then I'm going I'm to wrap this up. So knowing God, it's this pursuit, just like you would pursue something that you desperately want. We're supposed to pursue God like that. So I just kind of thought about this in my own life. What, what does that mean? Well... In my job and in my school and in my family life, the pursuit of that cannot be the end in itself. That is, it cannot cost me my relationship with the Lord. So we work hard in what we have in life. We're supposed to work hard. As a Christian, if we don't work hard but we claim to follow Jesus, people have to kind of figure out how that works. So knowing Jesus should actually give us diligence because we want to please him in our work and everything that we do. So we want to work hard, but we don't want to let our responsibilities cause God to take like a backseat in our life. And so it means we have to fight to spend time with God on a regular basis. You have to fight for it. That means when you want to sleep in, you choose not to. When you want to just relax on your lunch break, it means that maybe you need to read the scriptures. It means when you maybe want to listen to talk radio on your way to work, you pray. And in those little choices, you can begin to know God. So knowing God, it comes in these little choices with what we do with our time. But we never let our responsibilities crowd that out. And that is a struggle and a battle that we'll have the rest of our lives. And that's what, what Paul's saying. All of this is a loss compared to knowing Christ, knowing him. And so you may want to turn, turn off the, the radio and, and pray. Um, wake up a little bit earlier to spend time in the scriptures. It may mean that you need to talk to somebody and just figure out, how, how do I figure out how to read the Bible? How do I learn from the scriptures? We have so many people here at Church in the Valley that would love to help you in that. You can let us know on your connection card and we'll direct you to someone that could walk you through that. But that's part of, of how you know God. The other part of that, of knowing God, is knowing God never happens in isolation alone. That is, you can't know God and just be a Christian completely cut off from the community of Christians. The two are the same because we're actually on mission together. So knowing God doesn't mean that we can't pursue Christian community, in fact, the two feed each other. It means we want to be around people that are encouraging us and we can encourage them. The two go hand in hand. 
So oftentimes we reach a point where in our own life we're knowing God, we're knowing God. But if we're not getting time with other people who are further down the road than us, we can stall out. That's why the church exists. So we can encourage one another to love and to, to good deeds. That's what we're called to. So that's this part of, of knowing God. And if I'm just going to just brief like tutorial, okay? If you're, if you're kind of new to church or to Christianity and you're still investigating it, people talk a lot about getting together with other people. And you may think like, what, how does that work? Is this some like Christian, like kinetic thing? Like, here's what it is. It means that you love people and you aim to get time with them, which means you actually have to figure out a time when that can happen. And so if you've never gotten time with another Christian, you don't even know what that means and you keep hearing that. It starts off with like, hey, would, would you have time to get together this next week? And you're going to say that and be like, that was so weird. That was so weird. That was so weird. And then they might say like, yeah, when do you want to get together? And you're, whoa, it, it worked. And then you think like, what do we do? Do we just stare at each No, you, you actually ask questions. And I'm not making light of this because sometimes we talk about it, but I don't know about you. But sometimes I'm like, what are you supposed to do? Here, here's what you could do. You get together with somebody. Maybe it's just somebody that you, you admire their faith. And you ask a question like, how are you doing? And you just kind of listen to them. And then you just ask another question like, what's God teaching you? And you see what they have to say. And you just say, how, how can I pray for you? Three questions. How are you doing? What is God teaching you? How can I pray for you? Now, you mainly start on how are you doing? But if you've never gotten time with somebody else, you're missing out on relationships which will help you grow in your faith. And if you're not a Christian, it's also great to get around other Christians because you get to get a little insight into what it means to be a Christian. And that's the best decision you can ever make. So I encourage you, get time with somebody. And here's the thing. We always think, why isn't anybody ask me? You know why? Because the other person is saying the exact same thing. Right? Somebody else is saying, why don't they ask me? Because the other person is saying, well, why don't they ask me? Somebody has to, man, this feels like dating, doesn't it? It's not dating. This is actually how you do life with people. But we're so cut off from relationships so many times. So just be the person that takes the initiative. Just have to get together sometime. Just ask the question. And see what they say. And then get together with the person and ask those questions. Okay. Tutorial over. Okay. That's a little piece of knowing God. Happens in the context of relationships with other Christians as well. Then, what Paul is saying is knowing God leads us to make him known. That's his mission. Okay? So I just want to give a brief, what does that mean to make him known? I was thinking about this today. If the vision of the Lamb is so prevalent on what we're supposed to focus on, then you really see it's this picture of the Lamb who is sacrificed to pay for the dead. It's what it means for relationships. For all those who don't know Jesus Christ, you need to view them as someone who has a tremendous weight of debt, of guilt and sin and shame on them. And it's weighing them down and it's crushing them. And they don't even realize it. 
And for the Christian, that should compel us in compassion to tell them about the Lamb who has paid the debt to relieve the debt from their heads. That's what it means. But so many times we just see people just in passing and we don't think about this vision of Jesus, the sacrificial lamb. And so I encourage you to do that. The people that you relate to in your life, whether it's your family, your roommates, your friends, whoever it is, your neighbors, if they don't know Jesus Christ and they've not experienced the lamb that has taken their sins away, they are crushed under the weight of their sin. They are crushed. And it's our job as Christ followers to let them know that the debt has been paid. It's the greatest news ever. The debt has been paid. They have been pardoned, but they don't know it. So it's our job to tell them. It's our job to figure out how we can get into their world to show them how the debt can be lifted. And it's not from what they do. It's not from earning it. It's through Jesus Christ who freely died for them. That's what it means to make him known. People who are crushed, help them find Jesus who will lift the weight from their heads. Not about you, but I go and interact with people all the time. You know, so many times I'm just busy going to one thing to the other that I fail to see the people that are crushed because of their sin. So I want to encourage you, who are the people in your life that don't yet know Jesus Christ? And if you yourself have not invited him to lead your life and have not accepted his payment for your sin, you can do that today. And the weight will be lifted off your shoulders. So as a church, I stand before you like this. This is what it's all about. It doesn't get any, any more plain than knowing God and making him known. That's why we exist. But just like me, we have to make sure we focus on that in the middle of everything that we do. So if you have a Super Bowl party today, how does this impact that? Think about that as you're interacting with people. As you go to work tomorrow or class tomorrow, how does this impact that? I encourage you to to think that through. Uh, There's some next steps on the back of the connection card, but because of time, I'm going to let you look at that, and I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing a song as the band comes back up, and you can drop that completed connection card uh, in there. Let's pray together. God, thank you for sending uh, your son, Jesus, who is the worthy lamb who was slain for all of us. And there's nothing that we can experience or pursue that is of more importance than that. So God, help us in the middle of everything that we have going on that's taking our time and that's taking our focus to fix our eyes on the vision of the Lamb who is given to us freely from you to take away our sin. And God, I pray this week that you'll give us a chance to see people in our lives that are crushed by the weight of sin. 
And God, give us the words and the compassion and even just the thought in the moment to slow down and to engage in that with them. God, I pray this week you'll provide opportunities for us to share the difference that you've made in our lives for all those who follow you. Pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. Amen.